On Sunday evening, Game of Thrones Season 7 premiered. It opened with Arya Stark, the wrong daughter of beheaded hero Ned Stark, taking revenge on the enemies of her family. This led Neera Tandon, the president of Center for American Progress, to tweet, quote, Arya Stark is the flag for the resistance? Who's with me? Tandon is a former policy director for President Obama. There are two rather large problems with using Arya Stark as a banner for resistance. First, Arya Stark is an assassin. Yes, she's a fantastic character. She's fun to watch. She also goes around killing leaders. In fact, spoiler alert, she says midway through season seven, she's going to kill somebody who is in a position of power. So if the Democrats are attempting to tamp down the violent rhetoric, they're not doing a very good job of it. Second, Democrats keep searching for fictional counterparts for their current situation. First, they cited The Handmaid's Tale as a sort of apocalyptic vision of the Trump era. Now they're moving on to Game of Thrones. The only common theme seems to be that if a show is prominent, it must be a metaphor for Trump's America. But Democrats' entire problem is their failure to live in reality. They seem to believe the more they retreat to fantasy, the better off they'll be. But it was their lack of on-the-ground realism that cost them the 2016 election, and their embrace of the enormous fiction of intersectionality that continues to cost them credibility. Still. Democrats search for a message, and the only message they seem to be able to unify around is that of resistance, even though they can't even explain what they would do if achieved power. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Alrighty, so we have a lot to get to today. I'm talking about the media's attempt to assault Trump on a bunch of different issues. They're, they're moving beyond Russia now because they seem kind of annoyed that they have to keep talking Russia. And so now they're trying to hit Trump with all of the old platitudes. We'll get to that. We're also going to get to Trump's defense on Russia, which is not that wonderful. Plus, we'll get to the single greatest thing that the Daily Wire has ever released in the history of its existence, uh, which we'll do in Things I Like. So you'll have to stick around for that. But first... I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Texture.com. So Texture.com is where you go to get all of the material for magazines that you would ever want to get. We need more than just opinions from our friends or following social media to stay informed. That's why I like to read in-depth sources like The Atlantic, even ones that I disagree with, Vanity Fair, The New Yorker. You can get them all in one app called Texture. With Texture, you get access to 200-plus magazines full of in-depth interviews and stories all in the Texture app right there on your tablet or phone. So Sports Illustrated, uh, as I say, Vanity Fair, The Atlantic, all of these things you can get for one low price. Texture.com slash Ben. It's $9.99 a month. And again, you get access to those 200 magazines plus their back issues. Texture.com slash Ben. You get a 14-day free trial. So you can try it out, see how much you like it. My wife really enjoys using Texture for Reader's Digest. Texture offers my listeners, as I say, a 14-day free trial when you go to Texture.com slash Ben. That's 14 days to try it for free. Texture.com slash Ben. Uh, again, it's nine ninety nine a month. That would be like two magazines if you subscribe to them. Instead, you get two hundred magazines uh, from all sides of the political aisle. Go to texture.com. You can see a list. Texture.com slash Ben for that fourteen day free trial. And again, use the slash Ben so that they know that we sent you. Okay, so the media are still focused on this Trump Jr. Russia meeting, which we'll get to in a little while. But they are trying to broaden their attack on Trump now because as we approach the midterm elections, some Democrats are starting to realize that just shouting Russia at the top of your lungs ain't gonna do it. Because here's the problem. Trump was elected in November. Most people just want the election to be considered over. Even Democrats are, are, are not that interested. A lot of Democrats are not that interested in relitigating 2016 forever. We're just going to keep relitigating it until the end of time. I remember back in 2001, there was an attempt by Democrats to relitigate the election every five minutes. But by the time we hit September of 2001, and it was clear that we needed a president, all of that sort of receded into the past. There will be crises under President Trump's watch because there are crises under everyone's watch. And I think that even Democrats are starting to recognize that it is a mistake to continue to hype the, the Russia stuff unless there is new stuff that is coming out. So we'll get to what new stuff 
may or may not be coming up. But in the meantime, they're coming up with new, more typical Democratic attacks on Trump. So I, I think that a couple of them pop out today. Uh, one is from Charles Blow. One of the things that, that I think people need to understand about the, the resistance to Trump, the anger at Trump, is that there is scorn for Trump as a human being. It largely springs from Trump's persona. It doesn't spring from his policy. Trump on policy is a lot closer to Democrats than, say, Mitt Romney was in 2012 or even George W. Bush in 2001. The fact is that, that Donald Trump is a believer in big government. He is somebody who is, is mirroring a lot of Hillary Clinton's policies with regard to, for example, Syria. His actual detente with Russia looks a lot like Obama's detente with Russia. So it's very weird to see Democrats out there going nuts over him being nice to Russia when Obama was really nice to Russia for eight years and handed them control of Syria. Now they're all upset that Trump seems to be handing control of Syria to Russia. So you know, Trump on policy is not that far apart from a lot of the things Democrats want, but he angers them in terms of who he is, right? There's a lot of intellectual scorn for Trump. And people on the left and people on the right see that as scorn for the common man. But I don't think that's entirely fair. I think some of it is scorn for the common man. I think that the, the left does scorn the common man, the guy who didn't go to an Ivy League school. I know I went to school with all the people who went to Ivy League schools. I went to Ivy League school. So there is a lot of scorn in that arena for the dum-dums who live in the middle of the country uh, on the part of the left. But I think there is something else here that, that, is, that is getting at people, and that is that Trump is a, he's such a vulgarian that it bothers a lot of people who see him as an interloper in their circles. Trump, in other words, is going through what he has gone through his entire life and his entire career, which is not really great for Trump because Trump's entire shtick, uh, and this has been true since he was a young man, is that he's been treated as an interloper in the, in the halls of wealth in New York City. His dad was treated as a guy who was, who was new money, not old money. Uh, he was sort of the brash American who ran into the British circles almost. Uh, and Trump still sees himself that way, and the media still treat him that way. And so you get an article from Charles Blow at the New York Times where he talks about how Donald Trump's language is just appalling. It's just appalling. He says, I know there are things of graver consequences in Donald Trump's regime than his diction. But as a person whose vocation concerns him with language, I am simply appalled by Trump's savage mauling of that language. Listen, I am not super pleased with Trump's syntax. I think it's ridiculous that Trump doesn't know how to spell on Twitter. But is that among the top 10 problems that I have with President Trump? No, because at the end of the day, who really cares? I mean, it might be a mild irritation, but for the left, it's more than a mild irritation. They have cultural differences with Trump. And those cultural differences are not the cultural differences they have with conservatives. It's not about Jesus. It's not about guns, which Trump is not in favor of, really. Uh, it, at least, you know, now he's friendly with the NRA, but he was never a big gun advocate for most of his career. He called for gun control. It, it's not about all of the typical issues that animate the right and tick off the left. It's much more about they see Trump as just this boor who somehow ended up in a position of power and has never gotten his comeuppance. So that's what Charles Blow is saying. But it's not going to play because it sounds elitist. So, you know, he's pointing out that... President Trump uses the word beautiful a lot. He's used it 1,500 times on Twitter in speeches since he began running for office. Like, who cares? Who cares? If they think they're going to win an election based on this sort of nonsense, that's not going to work. And so now they've been relegated to using the usual lines of attack they tried to use on President Bush and on Mitt Romney. And that is, even on John McCain, and that is that he's trying, assault on women, assault on women. So what is Trump's assault on women? Trump in the past has actually been very pro-Planned Parenthood in terms of a lot of the things that he has said. Uh, Trump has been very kind uh, about, uh, about a lot of left issues on social issues, like on gay marriage. He is much more to the left than the traditional Republican has been. That still ticks off the left. So there's an article in the New York Times today from Michelle Goldberg called The Playboy President and Women's Health. And the entire article is about how Trump is trying to take women's birth control away from them. Now, have you seen President Trump? 
Have you seen his wife? Have you seen his sexual history? Do you truly believe that President Trump is deeply intent on going into women's bedside stands and sealing their birth control? The man was on the cover of Playboy magazine. Okay, President Trump could not care less about women's birth control, but the left wants to transform what is a political difference about the funding for birth control through insurance companies. They want to transform that into something else. They want to transform that into he personally hates women, even more than Bush. You know, Bush was driven by the issues, but Trump, he's just driven by scorn for women. And so Michelle Goldberg writes at the end of her article, again, it's this contempt for his character, this cumulative attack on women's ability to control their reproductive lives would be infuriating no matter who presided over it. But there's an extra shudder of degradation in losing reproductive rights at the hands of a lubricious playboy like Mr. Trump. Unlike longtime anti-abortion activists, Mr. Trump doesn't bother pretending he's acting in women's best interest. Hence his frank admission during a town hall meeting last year that if abortion were banned, women having abortions would have to be subject to some form of punishment. There's no veneer in this administration of compassionate conservatism or promoting a culture of life. There's simply power and convenience. Mr. Trump doesn't care about women's health or rights, and it's easy to outsource policy to the activists of the religious right who helped elect him. When you're the president, they let you do it. Of course, that's a reference to the, the infamous P-word tape, right? So the, this idea is that Trump is a uniquely bad person. So it's not just that Trump is a Republican and we hate Republicans. It's that he's a uniquely bad person. Jumping on the train about all of this is Joe Scarborough. So Scarborough, who spent an enormous amount of time in the primaries promoting President Trump, has now written an op-ed in which he talks about why he's leaving the Republican Party. And in this op-ed, he says, I did not leave the Republican Party. The Republican Party left its senses. The political movement that once stood athwart history, resisting bloated government and military adventurism, has been reduced to an amalgam of talk radio resentments. It's a pretty remarkable statement. First of all, Trump himself is against military adventurism. He's much more of an isolationist than he is a neoconservative. As far as bloated government, you know, Trump may like bloated government, but he hasn't been able to actually implement any of it. In fact, the only major accomplishment of his administration, except for Judge Gorsuch, is the pairing back of regulations under his secretaries, under the Health and Human Service Secretary and under the, under the EPA Secretary. It's this idea that Trump is some sort of vast break from Republican precedent in terms of policy is silly. Again, it keeps coming back to character. People on the left do not like Donald Trump because of character. There are a lot of people on the right who don't like Donald Trump because of character. I don't like Donald Trump's character. But the attempt to suggest that he is of a different kind in policy because of his character is silly. I think you can make good arguments about Trump's character, whether he is going to be a good president because of his character, whether he is capable of fulfilling the expectations of the American people because of his character, whether he is too knee-jerk, whether he doesn't study the issues, right? These are all criticisms that I've made of President Trump. But what the left is trying to do is they're trying to say that his character is his policy, and that is not true. They're trying to suggest that his policy is way out. His policy is super crazy, right? That's just not the case. I mean, Scarborough, of all people, should be talking, considering that he spent an enormous amount of time during the primaries pushing Trump in spite of and because of his various heresies on Republican policy. Remember, Trump did not run as a traditional Republican. So now the left is sort of at a loss of what to do with Trump. And so they're trying to go back to the same playbook. They're trying to pretend that Donald Trump is a traditional Republican, except for worse. Okay, he's not a traditional Republican. And the flaws that Trump has are really character flaws, less than policy flaws. Like I don't like a lot of his policy, but to pretend that it's a huge difference from Dwight Eisenhower or George W. Bush even uh, is really, really dumb. It's not true. So the left is getting more and more frustrated. What's amazing about all of this is that if the left were truly smart, if they're truly smart, they'd be buttering him up. Because the truth is, right now, they're in sort of a weird situation. They're trying to 
present Trump as a unique threat to the American Republic. There are two ways to do that, to say that his character makes him a threat to the American Republic and to say that his policy makes him a threat to the American Republic. The truth is neither one is a threat to the American Republic. I think that his character is a threat to the character of conservatives who decide to shy off his bad behavior, but I don't think that his politics are a threat to the nature of the republic. You know, for all the talk about him being a fascist, that has not materialized. In fact, the Democrats are stuck between a rock and a hard place because on the one hand, they want to claim that he's a unique threat, and on the other hand, they have to recognize that nothing is actually getting done. So if he's that unique a threat, then why aren't things getting done? You know, Al Gore is out there openly saying Trump isn't getting anything done. So, okay, if that's the case, then why are you all so upset, gang? You've spent half your life in politics, some of it at the, at the highest levels. Second highest level. Second highest level. Excuse me, Mr. <laughs> Vice President. That's right. What do you make of this young administration so far? Every day, it's another another set of tweets and another set of controversies, and and uh, they're not getting anything done. His biggest worry was what might be undone if Mr. Trump kept his campaign promise to pull out of the Paris Accord. He tried more than once to change Mr. Trump's mind, even visiting him at Trump Tower before the inauguration. Did you find him receptive, Mr. Trump, to your argument? I found him attentive, uh, and you can misinterpret that for uh, being receptive. But yes, I did think that there was uh, a real chance that he would come to his senses on this. But in June, this happened. The United States will withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord. Okay, so Al Gore is saying that, you know, he, he's a unique threat, but at the same time, he's not getting anything done. And that's, that's sort of, a, it's sort of a weird situation the Democrats are now in. So because nothing is happening, they don't have a point of attack on Trump. And so they're forced to go to the well with these old attacks on, oh, he's trying to take your birth control, or, oh, he, he hates women, or, oh, he's, he's attempting to destroy health care, right? These are all old attacks, and they're not going to work on President Trump. Now, what is a problem for President Trump is that his own Congress is deeply unpopular. So right now, Trump's approval rating in the counties that he won from Obama is at about 50%. Uh, that is not high enough to maintain a congressional majority. It was about 61% in those counties uh, in the last election cycle. He's now at about 50%. That does not look good for President Trump, which means that Congress is going to have to fulfill its... its this is sort of the, the funny thing. While the Democrats are focused on President Trump because President Trump gives them a unified message, the Republicans in Congress would be a much richer target for them because the fact is that even Trump supporters don't like Congress. Even Trump's most ardent supporters look at Congress and say these people don't know what they're doing. Now, the irony of the situation is that one of the reasons they don't know what they're doing is because the Trump administration has not given them any guidance. So Republican incompetence is the, the leading edge of the spear. I mean, not to give Democrats advice, but if you're going to run in 2018 on a winning platform, the winning platform shouldn't be the Democrats are, that the Republicans are, are malevolent per se because... I don't know how well that's going to work. The, the winning plat I mean, Hillary tried that. The winning platform should be these people are wildly incompetent and you, you should never trust them with power. And they should be using the Obamacare debacle as an example of that. So the Republicans keep running directly into the teeth of the Democratic attacks on this, and the Democrats don't even notice. Tom Price, who's the Health and Human Services Secretary, uh, he was on the TV shows on Sunday. Uh, I believe this is on um, CNN, uh, and, uh, or ABC, rather. And, uh, and here is Tom Price uh, trying to explain why Trump care is going to work. By the way, Trump care, the vote has now been delayed because John McCain is uh, is been in the hospital and they're trying to delay it until he gets back. It's a very, very close vote. Here is Tom Price trying to explain why it's going to be a good plan. 
what did they have to say about this new idea, this latest installment in the bill, to give more power to the states? Well, what their concerns are, obviously, and what our concerns are, is to make certain that every single American has access to the kind of coverage that they want for themselves and for their families. And the bill has changed significantly so that we believe that there is significant opportunity for that goal to be accomplished. The governors want flexibility. They want to make certain that they're able to design their Medicaid program as they see fit for their population. But they also want to make certain that the resources are there to be able to, to, to cover uh, that vulnerable population. And one of the interesting things that's in this bill that, that wasn't in previous iterations is the opportunity to make certain that those folks that actually fell into a gap uh, below 100% of the poverty level, but above where a state might put, allow individuals on the Medicaid system, that hole was not covered before. This bill provides for coverage for those individuals through the tax credit process, and that's something that's new. That also is one of the reasons that we believe we're going to be able to cover more individuals on this bill than are currently covered. Now, I know that's counterintuitive to folks that have been reading other headlines, but the goal is to get every single American covered and have access to the kind of coverage okay, that they Okay, it's that want. last line that is the problem for Republicans, and this is where Democrats should run, okay? The Republicans keep saying that Trump care is going to cover more people. They are using a Democrat metric. Okay, the metric for healthcare success should not be the number of people covered. You could cover everyone right now if you just made everyone eligible for Medicaid. But Medicaid doesn't actually increase medical outcomes. It doesn't make them better. The fact is the number of people covered is not nearly as important as the outcome of medical care. What you need is more medical care and more access to medical care, not health insurance that doesn't actually cover the people that you want. Right, but Republicans are now using Democratic metrics for all of this, and this is the problem. Because on the one hand, what that means is that you're splitting the Republican base. On the one hand, you have people like me who say free markets are the best, and you don't need everyone covered. People get to make their own decisions about whether they want coverage or not. That's people like Rand Paul, and I think Rand Paul is exactly correct on this. Here is the senator from Kentucky. Whenever it comes up, whenever Senator McCain is in good health and comes back, does... Senator, Senate Majority Leader McConnell have the votes to pass this revised bill. You know, I don't think right now he does. And the, the real problem we have is, you know, we won four elections on repealing Obamacare. But this bill keeps most of the Obamacare taxes, keeps most of the regulations, keeps most of the subsidies, and creates something that Republicans have never been for. That's a, a giant insurance bailout super fund. That's not a Republican idea to give taxpayer money to a private industry that already makes $15 billion in profit. Okay, so Rand Paul is exactly correct. And on the right, we're saying, okay, we need less regulation, less subsidy. But if you make your goal covering everyone through health insurance, no matter the quality of the health insurance, no matter whether they can keep their doctor, no matter whether it makes the life outcomes better, notice life expectancy in the United States dropped for the first time in decades last year under Obamacare. So this idea that Obamacare is the cure-all is just ridiculous. But if you use Obamacare's metric as a metric of success, you're bound to lose the right, which doesn't agree with the metric, and you're bound to lose the left in the Republican caucus, which says, okay, why don't we just keep Obamacare, and then everybody will be covered, right? Here's Susan Collins of the left part of the Republican caucus making that case. Do you think that the bill will pass, or do you think there are enough other wavering Republicans that it will not? There are about eight to 10 Republican senators who have serious concerns about this bill. And so at the end of the day, I don't know whether it will pass. Okay, so this is the big problem for Republicans. They have a caucus that is split on their own. It is easier in American politics today to engage in the politics of opposition than it is to engage in the politics of governance. 
if you lied for years and years and years, then it's going to come around to haunt you. And that's what Democrats found out after 2010. It's what Republicans are finding out now. Now, before we get into the Democrats going head over heels on the Russia stuff and Trump's defense, first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Zeal. So Zeal is one of my favorite services. This is a massage on demand company. Okay, so what they do is you go to Zeal, their app, you can schedule a massage at your house. They bring the table, they're all licensed masseuses, they bring the oils, they bring the music, the whole deal. It is a fantastic gift for a wife, for a husband, for a, for a parent. It's, it's, it's just a great gift. Zeal, Z-E-E-L.com, at Zeal's iPhone or Android app, and then you make sure to click add promo code at checkout. Use my promo code, Ben, to get $25 off your first in-home on-demand massage. The first time we used it, I was supposed to get the massage. My mother-in-law was in town. We gave it to her instead, uh, and it definitely made our relationship better. I've given it to my wife. Uh, we've done it for my sister. done it for both my parents. Uh, Zeal is just fantastic. Seven days a week, 365 days a year. A Zeal massage therapist qualified can be at your door in as little as an hour, uh, and it is significantly less expensive than you go, going to the spa, which means you don't have to schlep. It means the person comes to you. Turn your house into a spa. It's Zeal, Z-E-E-L. And again, use that promo code Ben, and you get $25 off your first in-home on-demand massage. If you sign up for Zeal's massage ma membership, you get 20% off all your massages, plus a free massage table and sheet set, a $380 value, yours free. There's no initiation fee to join the membership, by the way. Just a great additional savings on top of the $25 discount that you get when you use that promo code Ben. So again, Z-E-E-L, and use that promo code Ben so that they know that we sent you. You get that $25 off plus if you get the membership 20% off everything and uh, the free massage table so pretty pretty slick deal okay so uh, meanwhile the Democrats as I say they could be focusing in on the fact that Republicans can't unify around this stuff but if Republicans can't unify around this stuff it's hard to portray them as dangerous so what do you do right if you're the Democrats and you can't portray the Republicans as super competent and highly dangerous and you also can't portray them as so incompetent they're going to break the system what do you do? And the answer is you go to ancillary issues. You look for some sort of conspiracy theory with which to hammer them. You look for some sort of evil action that you can latch onto. You paint Trump as an outlier. Some sort, something deeply evil has happened here. And this is why the Democrats are so obsessed with Russia. Not only because they want to overturn the election, not only because they have cultural scorn for President Trump, but also because they do not have a point of unity because the Republicans are not offering them a point of unity. So Republicans are not fulfilling their campaign promises. They're not getting anything done, but they're also not offering them a point to run on. So inaction is actually the enemy of the Democrats here. If you're a Democrat, what you want is for Republicans to pass this Trump care bill so that you can run against the Trump care bill and say that Republicans just ruined your health care. But that is stalled right now. So instead, Democrats are now looking into ancillary issues. Uh, so we'll get to all of that in just a second. But for that, you have to go over to dailywire.com. We'll talk about Trump's defense against the Russia charges. We'll also talk about some things I like, an epic things I like today, just an amazing thing. If you didn't see it yesterday, we released it, but it's, it's really great. You're going to have to see it. It's a Game of Thrones tribute. You'll have to see it in things I like. But if you go over and subscribe at dailywire.com, you can watch the rest of the show. You sort of have to see it to, to appreciate it. Uh, for those who, who, not, who don't know, this show is a video show. Uh, so if you're just listening, then you should go over to dailywire.com. You can subscribe and you can watch the entire show on video. If you're already watching us over at Facebook, then as you know, the video cuts off after 15 minutes. But you can watch the rest of us live over at dailywire.com. You can watch the whole show live when you subscribe uh, for $9.99 a month. You also get Andrew Clavin's show video live. Uh, you get to be part of his mailbag, be part of my mailbag. Uh, Michael Knowles. God Help Us uh, has a show coming out, uh, and so you'll be able to watch that as well. Plus, if you get the annual subscription for $99, you get this unbelievable, magnificent, I mean, it, it just will make your life greater in every possible way, Tumblr, Leftist Tears, Hot or Cold, it says it right upon it, 
in beautiful silver lettering. Uh, dishwasher safe, incredible, makes julienne fries, uh, just spectacular. So uh, go over to dailywire.com, get that annual subscription, and you get, the, you get this, uh, this Tumblr. We call it a Tumblr because otherwise Stephen Crowder sues us. Uh, so it's, it, this Tumblr is fantastic, though. It is, it is great. High quality, magnificent, made of gold. It's not made of gold, but it should be. Okay, so it shouldn't. Gold tastes bad if you use it as a utensil. In any case, uh, go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. Uh, or if you just want to listen later, go to iTunes or SoundCloud, uh, and you can listen and uh, leave us a review. We always appreciate it. We are the largest conservative podcast in the nation. So how desperate are Democrats to pin something on Trump with regards to the Russia stuff? They're desperate, as I say, again, to review for a couple reasons. One, they can't get them on character. Everybody knows Trump's character at this point. It is what it is. Two, they can't get the Republicans on being evil because the Republicans aren't doing anything. And three, it's hard to get the Republicans on incompetence because while it's true, it is also not something that spurs people to the polls in any real serious way. So Democrats are instead looking to ancillary issues. They're trying to find another way to label Republicans evil, even while the Republicans don't really do anything. So Mark Warner, the Democratic senator from West Virginia, uh, he comes out and he says, you know, we're going to start looking into ancillary issues about Russia, like digital bots. Yes, really. We've got more investigation to to look into. I would like to also look into the activities of Cambridge Analytica. I'd like to look into the activities of the Trump digital campaign. I will point out this. Facebook, which basically denied any responsibility around our elections, by the time the French elections took place this spring, they actually took down 30,000 fake sites. We also know that it's been estimated that 8% of all Twitter accounts are fake. So the ability to manipulate these search engines and some of these social media platforms is real. It's out there. And we need information from the companies as well as we need to look into the activities of some of the, the Trump digital campaign activities. Okay, gonna- so the, the whole thing here is to create a miasma of scandal around Trump. Now, Trump isn't helping with that because the miasma of scandal has attached to him. And this Trump Jr. meeting last week, the, the revelation of it and the fact that Donald Trump Jr. himself released emails – Obviously, doesn't help along those lines, but just to prove the hypocrisy of the Democrats on this stuff, and they are hypocrites. I mean, Teddy Kennedy in 1984 actively attempted to collude with the Russian government, saying that he wanted to work with them in order to take down President Ronald Reagan, and the Russians basically pledged their support to him. Teddy Kennedy was a hero until he died in the Democratic Party. Uh, Adam Schiff, who's the, who's the Democratic congressperson from out here in California, uh, he says that when Hillary Clinton's people were meeting with Ukraine to get oppo research on Trump, that it really wasn't that big a deal. They've also pointed to this uh, to, to this issue with the Democratic Party and the Ukrainian embassy. Uh, this, is, this comes from a story in Politico that ran in January. The headline, Ukrainian efforts to sabotage Trump backfire. And I want to read from the article. A Ukrainian-American operative who was consulting for the DNC met with top officials in the Ukrainian embassy in an effort to expose ties between Trump, top campaign aide Paul Manafort, and Russia. The Ukrainian efforts had an impact in this race, helping force Manafort's resignation and advancing the narrative that the Trump campaign was deeply connected to Ukraine's foe to the east, Russia. So let me ask you, I understand Hillary Clinton lost. and I understand this effort was not as elaborate as, as, as the Russian effort. But was it acceptable or would it have been acceptable for the Democrats to accept help? from the Ukrainian government in this campaign? Uh, No, it would be uh, appropriate for the Democrats to accept help from the Ukrainian government. Uh, But I think if you look at the Politico article, and we're talking about just a a single article here, if you accept all the facts in the article, the scale of what the Russians did is not comparable to anything in that article. Uh, If it were, the comparable analogy would be 
that the Ukrainian president directed the Ukrainian intelligence agencies to steal, to hack Donald Trump's campaign, steal emails, publish them, direct okay, to the social media. Okay, again, this is ignoring the issue, right? I mean, the fact is you're either colluding with a foreign government in affecting the election or you're not. Now, I think the clearer line of demarcation is that the Ukrainian government is allied with the United States government, whereas the Russian government is at odds with the American government. But it's hard for Democrats to make that case, considering that they were considering Vladimir Putin an ally until seven minutes ago. I mean, until the election cycle, Vladimir Putin was their bestest friend. So Democrats continue to reach with this. Now, the Trump campaign, well, the Trump administration has a series of defenses they could use for all of this. They could say, number one, Bob Mueller is already investigating this stuff. Whatever will come out will come out. Number two, they could say this has all been overblown. Everybody is making a fuss over something that really is not that big a deal. Number three, they could say Democrats are hypocrites, which is true. It doesn't excuse our behavior, but for Democrats to complain about it is pretty ridiculous. Uh, all of these things are true. Instead, the Trump team continues to be really bad at this. So Trump is leading his own defense. Rule in lawyering, never be your own lawyer, okay? If you are ever convicted of a, if you're ever accused of a crime, you should never be your own lawyer. You always see it in the movies, I'm going to represent myself, okay? People who represent themselves lose 100% of the time. President Trump seems to be thinking that if he defends himself, despite the fact there's an entire infrastructure of people out there willing to defend him, from talk radio to Fox News, I will defend him if I think that he is right, you know, despite all of that, he feels the need to defend himself. And so he goes on the rampage on Twitter and he starts tweeting about his approval ratings and about fake news distorting democracy. Here's what he tweeted about his approval ratings. His approval ratings over the weekend were at 36%. He said the ABC Washington Post poll, even though almost 40% is not bad at this time, was just about the most inaccurate poll around election time. There's no need for him to do this. The reason there's no need for him to do this is because, number one, it is the worst poll for a president at this point in his presidency in the history of polling. Really, 36% is lower than any president in the history of modern American polling. Um, and number two, it is not true the ABC Washington Post poll was the worst around election time. They were actually one of the closest around election time. They had Hillary 49-46. She ended up winning 48-46 in the popular vote. But the reason this is bad is because it undermines what is a legit claim, which is that the media have done a very poor job covering the Russia stuff, and they have blown up every single issue into an end-of-the-world issue, right? Every molehill is a mountain in the media's view. That would be a legit criticism. But because Trump feels the need to punch back on every single report, true or not true, he ends up undermining his own credibility in a battle that he should be able to easily win against the media. So when he says stuff like this, right, when he says about fake news, he tweets um, regarding fake news that it is distorting democracy. He says, with all of its phony unnamed sources and highly slanted and even fraudulent reporting, fake news is distorting democracy in our country. That is true. Okay, what he's saying there is true. But after just tweeting that a poll that was pretty accurate was not accurate and that his approval ratings are not that bad, it's not, he's not making a strong case for himself. Now, I do think that the inaccuracies of the media are really bad. I think what's worse is the media pretending to be objective. So this is a little bit of a subtle difference from some of the things you're hearing. You know, my friend, my friend Dennis Prager tweeted out over the weekend that the media are more of a threat to Western civilization than the Russian government. And obviously, he doesn't mean that they're more of a threat to American citizens. He means they're more of a threat to the, the, lasting, the lasting conservatism of the American people. Uh, but what he said on Fox News was... We need an objective media again. I don't think there is such a thing as an objective media. I think what we need is an openly partisan media. So what Trump is saying here, which is that they use phony unnamed sources and highly slanted, even fraudulent reporting. Again, you know, Trump doesn't get to complain about this considering how many unnamed sources that are phony he has actually used, including himself. I mean, he used to use himself as his own press agent and call himself Jim Miller, uh, John Miller. Uh, but the, the problem is that this critique is right it would be a correct critique if you are honest. Honest people can make this critique. People who tend to fib cannot make this critique about the news media. So that undercuts attack number one, attack line number one by Trump. Attack line number two is just, 
I don't know if this was designed to, to help Trump, but it really hurts him, actually. J, uh, Jay Sekulow is Trump's lawyer, and uh, he's on ABC News uh, this week, and uh, he is asked about this Trump Jr. Russia meeting, and here's what he had to say. Well, I've wondered why the, the, the Secret Service, if this was nefarious, why did the Secret Service allow these people in? The president had Secret Service protection at that point. That raised a question with me. Okay, again, this is a bad line of defense because then the Secret Service comes out and they say, well, he wasn't even under protection at the time. Right? He hadn't even won the primaries yet, so he didn't even have Secret Service at the time. Second of all, Secret Service doesn't vet meetings with the president. They vet it for security reasons, but they don't vet it for, for national security reasons. Right. If you decide that you're going to collude, like they, they want to make sure that Trump doesn't get shot or his campaign members don't get shot. But Secret Service's job is not to vet people who meet with the president of the United States. That's a, that, that's, a, that's a silly, silly line of defense and a weak line of defense. And here's the problem. The weaker the line of defense for the Trump administration, the more people are going to want to dig. And then you finally get to defense number three. And I think this is the one that the Republicans ought to avoid but are going to embrace. I think that we are moments away from the Republicans embracing this defense full scale. Uh, Jeanine Pirro, uh, Judge Jeanine on Fox News. She represents the same sort of id that Donald Trump represents in the conservative movement in the Republican Party. She's sort of the headline version of conservatism. Um, she, uh, again, she'll say things that are inflammatory and outrageous sometimes, but I think that her head is where a large segment of the Republican base is. And here is what she had to say about this Trump Jr. Russia meeting. As someone who's run for office five times, if the devil called me and said he wanted to set up a meeting to give me opposition research on my opponent, I'd be on the first trolley to hell to get it. And any politician who tells you otherwise is a bald-faced liar. Okay, so this is the, the new politics, right? Donald Trump tweeted the exact same thing this morning. He tweets, most politicians would have gone to a meeting like the one Don Jr. attended in order to get info on an opponent. That's politics. Okay, well, that is, I think, how many people perceive American politics. But this is one of the problems with pop culture and media generally. Uh, it is true that politicians are corrupt. It is true that politicians are dirty and play dirty. It is not true that everybody in the United States who is running for politics would meet with a foreign government to get opposition research on their opponent. Not when there was a basic expectation of a quid pro quo. If you're meeting with the Russian government, the idea there's no quid pro quo expected uh, is, is relatively silly. But the American people have a perception of politics that it is ultimately dirty. Uh, they think that American politics is a house of cards. Trump is not a government guy. So it's not as though Trump has spent his entire life dealing with people in government. You know, whenever Trump talks about his fellows in government, I, I had the same problem with John McCain about campaign finance reform. He'd constantly say, we need campaign finance reform because everybody in politics is corrupt. And I just wanted to ask him one question. Okay, John, have you ever been bribed by a corporation? What makes you think you're so much more honest than everybody else in your profession? And the same thing I would ask of Jeanine Pirro or of Trump, which is, okay, you know, you think you're honest, but why are you more honest than anybody else? I guess the argument here is that they shouldn't be honest, that nobody should be honest in politics, that we should live down to our worst expectation of politics. If that's the case, then we are on a fast road here. We are on a fast road to, to something quite terrible. I do think that people revel in the, in the dirty of it. I think people on our side, both sides, I don't want to say just our side, I think people on both sides revel in the breaking the rules of it, in the hard-nosed of it, as I talked about last week. But I don't think that that's a good thing. I think that good people try to tailor the means they use to the ends they seek to achieve. They don't revel in the means just because it's fun to use the means. And I think that's sort of where we're going with all this. Now, again, does any of this mean that anything deeply nefarious was done? No. I mean, again, I, I'm not somebody who thinks that it's good that Donald Trump did this, but I'm, I'm failing to see the quid pro quo. I don't see what the, the pro quo is. I don't see how Trump has paid off Russia, per se, yet. 
Um, I'm still open to evidence, but I haven't seen that. Um, I, I don't know exactly even how the collusion was done during the campaign. As I said last week, there's a lot of talk about collusion, but I don't know what that collusion looks like. It looks a lot more to me like the media are trying to seize on talk of collusion and have been for six months. Now they have a bone they can actually gnaw on, and that's Trump Jr.'s fault, and that's Trump's fault. And it may in fact come out that Trump was knowledgeable about this meeting, in which case they shouldn't have been denying things, right? The, the cover-up is always worse than the crime. But I'm, uh, I'm skeptical that any of this takes Trump down, and I'm skeptical the American people care all that much other than the general miasma that Trump is corrupt in some bizarre way. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So, things that I like. Uh, we did this last week. We all got very enthusiastic about the Game of Thrones season premiere that happened last night, and which I thought was slow but had a couple of great things in it. There are like three great moments, right? There's one at the, there's one having to do with the Hound, uh, there's the opener, uh, and then there's a good moment with an unexpected character in an unexpected place. I think those are the three good moments of the, of the premiere. But uh, we, got, uh, we got very excited around here, and I got out my violin, and we put this together last week. The entire staff put all of their work aside to make this ridiculous thing that I'm about to show you. Uh, it is our tribute to Game of Thrones. actually did. Yeah, that's, that's real life right there. That has it, you know, it just shows you, I think, that uh, what people are interested in. That video has combined about 1.3 million views in less than a day. So <laughs> well done, everybody. Really, our staff was great. They put the whole thing together. That is me, for, for those who couldn't see, that is me playing three parts on the violin. Um, but it has some pretty wild imagery. You can go over to Facebook later and check it out. I don't want to give it away if you haven't actually seen it. Okay, other things that I like. I actually have uh, some Pretty epic things I liked it today. Uh, so other things that I like, uh, this was pretty great. Yesterday at a baseball game, uh, Yankees, Red Sox, baseball game, uh, there was, so the Yankees and the Red Sox hate each other if you're not a baseball fan. Fans hate each other. I've been to a Yankees-Red Sox game. It can get really brutal. I was out in the bleachers one year when people started pouring beer on each other and fighting. Uh, that is not uncommon. So at this Yankees-Red Sox game, uh, there's a Red Sox fan who's sitting in the front row, and he catches a foul ball, and uh, here's what he does. And Yankee fans can't make nice. This is a wonderful moment. A Sox fan handing this little lady the baseball. Watch what happens next. <laughs> very so cute. Very sweet. Very it sweet. Is. So we can all get along. Yeah, it's really, really cute. So this little girl in a Derek Jeter 
uh, jersey comes down, and this Red Sox fan hands her a baseball, and then she goes back to her dad, and then he sends her back down, and she gives the guy a hug. Really, really cute. Uh, so baseball can bring people together, even though it can also separate people, obviously. Okay, um, other things that I like. This is actually a bit of an old tape, but I just saw it for the first time. Uh, these cops pull over this black guy, and you think that this is going to go like how all these other videos go, which is the cops somehow mistreating the guy. But it turns out that they know the guy, and what happens next is pretty great. You got a child in the car with no child seat. I don't... Hey, officer. officer yes, sir. Hey, what's up, brother? How's it going? I haven't seen you in forever, man. What's going on? <laughs> well, I just got out of the hospital. How's it going? Oh, well, I'm actually kind of sleepy today, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. But I got to be honest. The reason why I stopped you is because you got a child in the car with no child seat. I don't have no child. You don't have a child? No, sir. Are you sure? Yes, sir. Are you positive about positive. this? Are you saying I goofed? <laughs> We do have a child in the car with no car seat. <laughs> I think that means you're a daddy, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm just going to tell you now, Todd is a great name. He's the name of the officer. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. This is awesome. Open. <laughs> <laughs> Take it out. What's it say? Dad, see you on your birthday. Do on your birthday. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Do on your birthday? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I love my amazing dad. Oh, super cute. So. <laughs> You know, there's, there's always this attempt to make cops out to be the worst people in the world in the media. The only time you ever see cops is when something bad happens. Obviously, that is not true. Uh, and this is a terrific video, so uh, I'm, glad that, uh, I'm glad that's out there. Okay, time for a thing that I hate. Okay, so I've been friends with Ann Coulter for a, a very long time. I mean, I've been friends with Ann since I was like 16 years old, 17 years old. Uh, and uh, she's always been very nice to me. We've been very friendly. We've gone out to dinner many times. Uh, I don't know what the hell happened on Delta Airlines, but I think this is totally inappropriate. So uh, I've been in situations, I was in a situation with American Airlines a couple of years ago where I was supposed to fly in for a speech and they canceled my flight. It was set for like two hours before the speech. Uh, they canceled the flight. Then I could have gotten on the follow-up and maybe made it to the speech on time. And they put me on the standby list. And then I was the last person about to get on the plane and they canceled the standby list and they put on a bunch of their own employees. And, and they've had the employees fill the seats. I was ticked, and I tweeted about how ticked I was at American Airlines. At no point did I ever attack the actual employees who were standing in front of me. At no point did I take their pictures or suggest or put out their names or suggest that they were the bad guys. I attacked the airline because it's the stupid airline policy that sucks, right? It's not the fault of the employees. These are people who are just going about their daily business. And whenever you're at the airport and you see somebody screaming at an employee, it's just nasty because the fact is these are people trying to do their jobs for the most part. So Anne tweeted out, Here's what happened. Anne booked a seat with extra legroom. They didn't boot her from the flight, but she got there like five minutes before the flight. If you get there five minutes before the flight, they will probably give away your seat. And so they got her on the flight, but they didn't get her in her original seat. And she said, just when you think it's safe to fly them again, the worst airline in America is still Delta. Suckiest Delta moved me from my pre-booked seat and gave it to some woman, not elderly, child, or sick. I have pictures, so don't lie, Delta. And then she continued along these lines, uh, and she tweeted out a picture of the actual woman sitting in her seat, whose fault it is not, right? Okay, it's fussy. I, I think we, we could all, Delta eventually tweeted back at her 
they, they actually they said, well, we're sorry you did not receive the preferred seat you paid for, and we'll refund your $30. Additionally, your insults about our other customers and employees are unacceptable and unnecessary. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I, I, again, I'm friends with Dan, but I can't blame Delta here. I really can't. I mean, if, they, if, if you're tweeting out photos of other passengers who haven't done anything wrong, or if you're directly attacking the employees, uh, I, I, I have a problem with this. I, I think that it's not, not only is it not nice, it makes for a worse country. <laughs> I think it just makes for a worse environment in which we live. We have to understand and give each other um, a, the, the benefit of the doubt that we're all trying to do a job. And I don't think that it's the Delta employee. Like, she's suggesting that it was some sort of anti-conservative bias. Maybe she just showed up late for a flight and they gave away her $30. She said that it cost her $10,000 because of all the time it took for her to book stuff. Okay, I'm sorry, no. I'm sorry, no. Okay, first of all, I'm sure Anne has an assistant. If she doesn't, she should get one because if she's still booking her own flights, then she's, doing, it, she's wasting her time. But it's... It, but, you know, I think that it's it's easy for those of us who have be, have some level of fame and prominence to start treating people badly who are in positions that are that are less well paid, uh, less famous. Um, and I just don't as a con, as a conservative and you know as a religious person, I'm just not a fan. I think you can rip the airline up and down. I don't care if it, like she says, uh, Delta Mata. How can we make your flight more uncomfortable? See, that's fine with me. I don't care. Like if you want to rip Delta for doing it, that's fine. But taking pictures of the people on the flight, which is what she did. And then uh, ripping the staff at Delta, as though it's the staff's fault. Um, again, unless she has evidence of that, I just uh, it, it's not my cup of tea. I, I'm not I'm not a big fan. And you see this from right and left. It's not a right left issue, right? I mean, uh, I, there there are people on the left who have done this as well, very famously. Uh, and everybody needs to calm the hell down when it comes to when it comes to travel. Okay, so we'll be back here tomorrow. Hopefully, the news will will be better. Uh, I'd like to see. It's supposed to be. Make America Work Again week, so hopefully President Trump will stay on message this week, and it won't just be, uh, and it won't just be more Russia talk. Um, but all of that depends on what happens today. So we will see. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is the Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.